to hear the Word of God. It's the Word of God will change us. The Spirit of God will transform us if we will let Him. And uh, Lord, you don't want anybody to leave here today the same. And I pray, Lord, I change this message up um, because you told me to. I just pray you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn to Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. I was going to uh, preach on a messy church talking about uh, the Corinthian church. I keep trying to do that, and I just can't seem to get there. I was reading this week, and the elders had had a conversation, and uh, we were talking about, and this, this is in no way corrective or, you know, to the elders, or but we, have, we were having a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus, and we've had this conversation before, like, can a person just say a prayer, and then they're a follower of Jesus, and they just, their life doesn't change, they're the way that they were, are they saved? Anybody ever asked himself that question? I am the only person in this church that's ever asked that question. That is bizarre. I asked myself, you you have two, Pam? Good. We're on the same page. So you say, well, did they really get saved? Or, um, you know, Jesus said in Luke 14, unless you forsake everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. How many of you, when you followed Jesus, you sold your house? Sold your car and quit your job and started following Jesus. You just forsook everything. Raise your hand. Stand up. So, whoa, what's that's you know. So, so what did Jesus mean by that? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And so I want to talk about that. I really, my understanding, Ken's going to teach on it in a couple of weeks. He's going to get up and but I was I was thinking about that because of the elders meeting, and then I was in the word, and it's like I remembered the Lord had talked to me about this before. And it showed me something about um, what it means to be saved and what it means to follow Jesus. So in Luke chapter 18, let's read this text together. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed, thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like the tax collectors. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I possess. Your tithe does not save you. And the 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 tax collector standing far off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So he's talking about how this man received salvation, how he called out for the mercy of God. I had a sermon. I, it, to, me, to me, it was one of my best sermons for me about mercy, because I remember God showed me in the Scripture that all these people getting healed, 
and they were all saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And it said the Lord had mercy on him, and he healed him. You go read a few verses later, and someone else, have mercy on me. And I uh, preached the message in the, the, the book of uh, Romans. Paul's talking about the mercy of God. He summed everything up about the mercy of God, that everything is of him and through him and to him. And, I, and I'll probably get back there, but about the mercy of God. When, when we're saved, we get saved completely by the grace and mercy of God. Someone say amen. amen. No one sold their house and their car and their kids and started following Jesus and got saved. That's, that is not how it works. When I got saved, I was standing in a crowd of people, and that man said, and I've told this story many times, you are a sinner. And my heartbeat said, I am a sinner, because I was a sinner. He had me right there. He had me, Mike. I was a sinner, and I knew it. And my heart started beating. Now, I didn't want to admit that I was a sinner, but I knew I was. And I responded to that altar call, and I wound up by a miracle. It was absolutely a miracle that I wound up at that altar. But I did wind up at that altar. And I prayed a simple prayer, and I invited Christ into my life. Now, I was saved right there. In this place, they took me into a back room, and they laid hands on me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that made all the difference for me. I mean, I had... Marlboro cigarettes. I smoked a pack and a half a day. They were gone. I've told this before. Uh, I had inappropriate magazines under my bed. They were gone. I went home and took my Stroh's beer. I dumped it out. It was gone. I was truly saved. <laughs> I mean, literally. That pastor got up. You talk about tithing. I saw it in the Bible. I was doing it. You talked about sharing Jesus. I was doing it. I was on fire for the Lord. Something happened in me. I can truly say that I got saved. I was different. I was not perfect. I was kind of like a tornado in some ways, you know, I was because I didn't know that much, but I was on fire. And I started following the Lord. It was so bizarre because it's like the more I was following God, I had so much pressure in my life to quit. Anybody have pressure to quit following Jesus? I mean, I had, I had my wife left me, and I had two children. I had things happening right and left, and if, sometimes it felt like I could barely hang on. I had so much pressure in my life to quit following Jesus, and I know now it was absolutely our adversary, the devil, trying to uh, get me to let go of the salvation that Jesus gave me, trying to discourage me. Anybody ever get discouraged? I've been discouraged before, but I have truly received something, and some of you you have got saved or you gave your life to Jesus, and this happens to a lot of people. We get excited. Giving your life to Jesus, you're born again, and there is life, like that green hair. There is life that comes inside of you. You are really born again. Something has transformed. You're not the same as you were. Literally, Jesus Christ has set up residence in you. That's why you're not who you used to be. You try to do things you used to do, and you can't do it. It doesn't fit anymore. But after that initial burst that we often get following Jesus, a lot of times we kind of plateau. Who knows what I'm talking about? That excitement wears off a little bit. The thrill, it's kind of like, you know, it could be. I, I got a tiptoe here. I got a tiptoe real, real soft here. 
It's kind of like, it could be like, not necessarily, it could be like being married. Not for me and Pam, we're different, right, babe? <laughs> it could be like being married. You get married. I saw a guy, his bride came down the aisle, he broke down crying. He saw her in that white dress. His, uh, he was literally, I don't know if you've ever seen that, he's bawling. He puts his head on the best man's, it, oh boy, it brings me emotion to me, puts his head on the best man's shoulders and he's crying. He's like, I do not deserve this woman count, coming down the aisle, but I get to spend the rest of my life with that woman and he's bawling like a baby. Now it could be 10 years from that point in time that some of those emotions have ebbed a little bit, Amen. Could be. He probably loves her just the same. But in a marriage or in any relationship, sometimes the emotions, not the covenant. Remember our wedding? We talked about covenant, right? The covenant never changes. And really, our love never changes. But how many, well, I better not even ask you. You might get in trouble. But uh, I would speculate that most of us, other than Pam and I, most of us, you know, have plateaued a time or two in your emotions towards your husband or wife. Is it, could that be true, possibly? Someone say amen. Ken said no, it's not possible. So it does happen, or you're dating, okay? Well, following Christ can be like that, where the initial emotion or thrill wears off. I, you know, I don't want to be too plain, but now you've seen her at her best, and you've seen her at her worst. She's seen you at your best, and she's seen you at your worst, and they still love you, but sometimes the emotions and... A, a, a couple or two, sometimes the couple might even say, what have I done? Amen. <laughs> a marriage covenant is not based on emotion. Now, there are times, you know, you'll get a resurrected emotion, you'll feel that love flowing through you, and, you know, you'll get all that resurrected, but there are times you go through trials and testings, and marriages get tested, and Covenant gets tested and, and uh, relationships get tested, but it's that vow, it's that commitment that keeps you married. Following Jesus can be like that. Sometimes it's two months in and that initial thrill is gone and you're facing life and the excitement's gone and you're sitting there thinking, you know, well, did I really get saved? Who's ever thought that? <clears throat> be honest. Got a handful. Did I really get saved? The emotions, many people, or is this thing really real? Because the emotions are gone. And at that time, that is when we need the grace of God and the mercy of God more than ever. When those emotions are gone or when the feelings are gone, we need to press in. It's the same in a marriage relationship. You have to press in. You've got to go on those date nights, Justin. You've got to take her out for pizza. You've got to come home and make an effort to, into your marriage. You've got to put some work into it. You've got to spend some time with her. You've got to get to know her or him better. That's how it is with Jesus. Satan will come, try to steal the word, try to attack you and separate you from your initial experience, and you've got to press into the word all the more. You've got to spend time. When you do that, there is great reward in that, and you'll find out that Jesus is still there. Just because the emotions, that he'll still keep his word to you. He'll still answer your prayers. When you put your faith in him, you can depend on him. Amen? When you were married five years, Gideon's still working, isn't he? Still taking care of you guys. Still loves you guys. Amen. 
But I've seen people even uh, lose their faith and they walk away from the Lord because kind of those emotions go and then the pressures come, okay? When you get saved by the mercy of God, and even though I want to talk about this, even though this guy said, Lord, this is really important to understand. This guy said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. When you really get saved, okay, there is a transformation where you go from uh, darkness to light, you go from sinner to saint, there is something fundamentally that happens to you that changes you. You are not the person that you used to be, you are born again, and you've got to believe that and stand on it and walk like it's true, and everything in your power, and that's how we resist the devil, we put our faith in the word of God. We put our faith in the Spirit of God. We believe God no matter how things seem or appear. Colossians 2.10 says about the believer that you are complete in Him. You have fullness in Him. So here's what I'm saying. When you get saved by the mercy of God, you get the whole package right then. All of it. You're saved. Jesus in all his goodness and glory comes to live in your heart, and Jesus is never going to improve. He's the same Jesus today as he was yesterday and will be forever, and that's the Jesus that's in your heart when you get saved, complete. Isn't that beautiful? Whether you feel it or not, he doesn't change. And there's so many promises like uh, he has blessed us, or so many realities, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. When? He's already done it. Amen. He says, we have everything we need right now for life and for godliness. When? You already have it. You've got it now. That's why this thing is a faith walk. That's why we're in a battle. When you accepted Jesus, you got it all. I, I've talked about that book. It says, uh, uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Someone say amen. What I'm, what I'm saying that sinner, when he said, be merciful to me, a sinner, he got, when he accepted Jesus Christ, I'm talking about the other side of the cross, when Jesus had died, buried, resurrected, when he did that, he got the whole package right there. It was a package deal. When you married your husband, did you get half a husband or did you get all of him? Did he just give you a little bit of his heart right then? I'll give you a little next year. I'll give you a little bit of me the following year. I'll give you a little bit of me the next year. And maybe if you're good enough and you're a good enough wife, you tithe enough, you fast enough, you read your Bible, then I'll give you all. Is that what happened when you got married? No. That man's in covenant with you. He belongs to you. The Bible even says your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your wife. Pam likes to remind me of, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> Woo, Jesus, I'm just teasing. Oh, I'm sorry, Pam. I'm sorry. Take that away. Take that out of the video right there. Take it out. I went too far. The Bible does say that, though. It does say that. It says your body belongs to her and, and vice versa. You belong to each other. What am I saying? You did not get a part of Jesus. So when that guy said, be merciful to me, a sinner, when we do that with the Lord, he is merciful to us, and we get it all right then. We get the whole package. But there is a transformation that's expected of it if we are going to follow the Lord. And that's the if. When you get saved. But if you get saved... You get filled with the Lord, you get filled with God, 
and you don't follow the Lord, you just kind of camp out where you're at, you will never be transformed. And you will never be changed. And you could actually, I believe a person can give their salvation back. God won't take it from you, but you can walk away from it. You're secure in God's covenant with you. What well, can you leave your husband? You can leave your husband. He, he might beg you not to. He may not go anywhere. He may stand there, but you can walk away out of that covenant relationship. It's a two-way covenant, and I really believe this. With God, it is a two-way covenant, and there's enough Scripture on it anyway. The Lord expects us to do something with our salvation. Someone say amen. And I want to show you how this works. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. God did not save us, so we stay the same. There's a teaching out there that it's like, um, we talked about this, Ken, like it's optional kind of. You get saved and you can decide whether you want to be holy or you can decide whether you want to. When we get saved, we belong to the Lord. We belong to Him. We no longer belong to ourselves. It's a little bit different on this side of Calvary. What I mean was these guys were giving up stuff. They were following Jesus, and, and you know, they, were, they were being His disciples. And on this side of Calvary, everything has already been given to us by grace. But there's a transformation process that happens where we are discovering who we are. We're discovering as we walk with the Lord, what is my real identity? We're discovering what does it really mean to be saved? What does it mean to have the Spirit of God in me? As we walk with the Lord and we begin to allow Him to transform us, many changes will come. The process of life is the process of exchange. That's what Paul in Romans 12 says, after all this conversation about mercy, he says, He's saying, we're saved by the mercy of God. In the view of God's mercy, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your body a living... In view of what God has done for you, is it so much that you would present your body a living sacrifice? He said, do not be conformed to this world, right? We're in the world, but not of it, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he exhorts us to humility. I'm going to talk about that. On this side of Calvary, on the Jesus side, the resurrection side of Calvary, the work is already done. We walk into it. We walk into, by faith, we walk into the reality of who we really are. If we go on to know the Lord in your life, the Holy Spirit will constantly be prodding you to change. I believe that's the part of where Paul said and where Jesus said, I die daily. Those choices, those opportunities come up in your life, not to work for your salvation, but to allow God to transform you and your life. You hear the word, you receive the word, and you decide, hey, I'm going to act on what the Bible says. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to put myself in this book, and I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to bring change. There's two ways. One is by getting in the Word and allowing the Word to work in our heart, believing it and acting on it. And number two is by the Spirit of God, responding to the Spirit of God. Isn't that exciting? It's still not by works. 
The transformation comes by the Spirit. Your change is going to come by the Spirit. Your hunger has everything to do with it. Your seeking God has everything to do with it. Your willingness to let go of what's in your hand, and I don't, I'm talking about let go of your ego. You're willing to forgive, to walk in grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Paul said, I put everything behind, and I, you're willing to allow the Lord to put His finger in your heart and say, I want that right there. I want that right there. You say, yes, Lord, the Lord will transform you and change you. You'll be unrec you can be unrecognizable if we keep making these transactions with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, He comes in and says, yes. It takes judgment day honesty with God. I was reading in Psalms chapter 51 this morning where David is calling out to God for transformation. What happens to many, many of us is the Lord comes in and we're doing good. We're, we're growing leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds. And the Lord comes in and he puts his finger on something and says, I want you to change right there. And it's a price we're not willing to pay or something we're not willing to do or to let go of. And we just stagnate right there with the Lord. I heard a man called an impasse. We get an impasse. We're just not growing anymore because God has asked us for something. Now, you don't make the change. You don't change. It's the Spirit of God that brings the change. It's where you say yes to the Lord. Someone say amen. amen. It is good news because if the work is by the Spirit... And if the work is through the Lord, and it's by God's grace, and it is by God's grace, there is no limit on how far God can take you. All God needs from you, He doesn't need your works, He doesn't need your effort. All God needs from us is say, yeah, yes, 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 yes. I remember, I, you know, and I, I bring it down to sharing Christ or witnessing a lot. I do because I remember my yeses to God. Yes, God, I'll do that. I scared to death. Yes, God, I'll do that. Yes, God, I'll take that step. Yes, God, I'll do that. Yes, yes, over and over. I die daily, Paul says, yes, Lord, or things in my life. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. I'll obey. Yes, and what God is working in our life is a far more eternal weight of glory. God is producing the character and the nature of life of God in you by the spirit that is already in you. That Spirit is in you bringing transformation. When you're engaging God in the Word, the Spirit is talking to you, saying, hey, this is you, this is what we're working on. And by the way, He says, I love you. I love you. I love you. This is a grace. I love you. Let's do this. Let's change. Let's look more like Jesus. You guys in Second uh, Corinthians? Okay. Well, you shouldn't be. You should be in 1 Corinthians. <laughs> that was a test. No, I didn't get those two confused. Chapter 6, verse 7. 1 Corinthians. That's the real story. Chapter 6, we'll start with verse 7. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. 
Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? No, you yourself do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brothers. They, this was a messy church. I, I'll preach that message sooner or later. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What does that say? Someone tell me what that says. Yep, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexual, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does it sound like the Lord leads us the same? The guy that said, be merciful to me, a sinner, God was merciful to him. And I believe you can say that a thousand times a week. You know, Lord, be merciful to me long as you're humble before God and ask God for help. But God fundamentally does something so different in us, and we'll get there. And what does he say? And such what? Were some of you. I mean, you were this way. Is the expectation that you still are. Does he still expect you to be an adulterer or an extortioner or a railer? No, he says such were some of you. Who did the saving here? But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? That's good news. God, what he's saying is God saved you. That's what you were, but God saved you. Now, I understand sometimes it takes folks a minute to catch on to this, right? God will walk a long way with us, being merciful and patient with us as the Lord is transforming us. But the Bible says, this is what you used to be, and you're not that anymore. Someone say amen. You're a different person now. And the expectation, if we're going to inherit the kingdom of God, is we don't go back and live in those lifestyles. Verse 15. <clears throat> This is Pastor, Brother, Apostle Paul. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two shall become one. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. Do you see the high privilege and expectation there is in our life? It's not that God expects you in one moment of time to manifest Jesus in perfection. God has done something so fundamentally different in us, there has to be change. It calls for change. Our sinful way of life has been wiped out. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is without his body, but the one who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are the Lord's. So do you, can you see, that's why I 
because you'll have people talk about the uh, tax collector, the publican, how we can't judge people because he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Look, this transformation and this change in our life is always the mercy of God. The, the change, the, the sanctification is just as much the mercy of God and the grace of God in your life as that day that you got saved and walked down the altar. It doesn't change. The grace that saves you is the grace that sanctifies you. That's why for the Christian, there really is no excuse for the Christian to grow in God because God says, I have given you everything you need to grow in me. Everything for life and godliness. The word says he gives more grace. Go ahead, Linda. I know you got to go. That's fine. We can all be transformed. We can all be changed and look more and more like Jesus. Don't be deceived. There is no limit on how far you can walk with God. We put the limits on the Lord because of His grace. God will give more grace. I, I preached a message about how we approach the throne of what? The throne of grace to get mercy. One of the you know, little-known facts, you know, sharing the Lord. You know, I, I love to share the Lord. I share the Lord constantly, but I never can do it in a vacuum. I never do it out of my own strength. I never do it without prayer and seeking God. I had a lady ask me, she goes, well, what, how do you do it? How do you do this? I said, the same way that you'll do it. God puts the desire in your heart, and I get before the Lord in prayer, and I ask God for mercy and grace to help me. And He gives me mercy and grace, and He helps me. I have a temptation with the sin. Something comes into my life to tempt me, to get me off the path. I remember coming up here, and, you know, I call out to God. I said, God, be merciful to me. Help me. Lord, I don't want to go this way. I'm feeling pulled. I get complacent, or I feel life is pulling at me. I, I, get, I get with the Word of God, and I get with the Lord, and I say, Lord, be merciful to me because that transformation and change comes by the Spirit. It is always humility. It is always, God, be merciful to me. That's why, and I mean this sincerely, that's why we can't judge anybody else, because the way that you're going to be sanctified is the way that I'm going to be sanctified. I know that I won't stay in this transformation process unless God keeps His hand on me, unless the Lord keeps teaching me, unless He keeps pouring His grace out on me. Someone say amen. That's the process of transformation. The Bible says we go from what? Grace to grace. We go from faith to faith. I want to finish this. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2 and I'll finish this. Ken, this came out of that conversation because it is 100% entirely true that when you're saved, you're saved completely. Totally saved by God's grace. And it is also 100% entirely true that we walk this thing out with the Lord on a daily basis as we follow the Lord. You guys with me? Okay. Verse 8, chapter 2, Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved 
Through what? Faith. How many of you, when you read, like Paul talks about the righteousness of faith, doesn't that just grab you? Does it grab you? I read that, not the righteousness of faith. That, all, that just stands out. What do you, Lord, what do you mean the righteousness of faith? The righteousness of faith. Righteousness means that God looks at you with absolutely no sin whatsoever. He looks at you as if you're perfect. There's no blemish. There's no blame. There's no stain. There's nothing on you. But Jesus, I'm that's... I'm not sure I understand. Well, let me explain it. Siri talks back sometimes. It's the best part of the sermon right there. <laughs> Let me explain it. <laughs> Righteousness, what's that? We don't understand. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God without condemnation, without sin, in perfection. You are declared righteous by God because you're in Christ. When God looks at you, He sees you 100% righteous, and you can go to the throne room with that righteousness in expectation anytime. And it says it's the righteousness of what? Faith. You mean, Lord, because I believe you? I preached that. He said, yes, Brad, because you believe me. Because you believe me. You believe me. All sin, the root is unbelief. Did you know that? Every sin you commit, the root, as a Christian, I mean, not a non-Christian, every sin that a Christian commits, the root of it's unbelief. Romans 6.14 says, and I am ending, I promise, I am ending, says, sin shall not have dominion over you because you are not under law, you are under grace. That's why sin doesn't have dominion over you because you're not under law. Oh, I got to try so hard. No, you don't. You got to love so hard. You got to love so hard because it's a matter of your heart. All sin comes out of unbelief. You would never cheat on your husband if you love him, would you? Would you? You love him? You think he's the bomb? You're not going to cheat on. Cheating on your husband is when your heart starts to wander, or your wife. It's when your heart starts to wander. Then you cheat. That's how you cheat on God, too, when your heart starts to wander. And you start looking around at other stuff, right? Sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under law, you're under grace. Okay. For by grace you have been saved, that's past tense, through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Listen, not of works, lest any man should boast. Can't boast about it, why? For we are His, this is it, this is it. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You were made to do good works. I talked about giving. You were made to give. You were made to love. You were made to share. You were made to have joy. You were made to be kind. You were made to be gentle. Everything else is not who you really are. You're created in Christ. One translation says like you're a tapestry. God's working. That's what you're made to be. That's what we renew our minds to be. That's what we wake up to do is to look like Jesus. Someone say amen. amen. 
lest we boast. There's nothing to boast about because He's the one that's making the changes as you are spending time with Him, as you're looking at Jesus, as you're yielding to Him, letting go of unforgiveness, letting go of bitterness, letting go of selfishness, letting go of pride, letting go of self-centeredness, letting go of lust, letting go of the old man and embracing the new man. That's not who I was. I don't even like that guy. Anybody like their old man? I don't mean your husband. Anybody like their... No one one wants to be that old person you used to be. I don't want to be that guy. I don't like him. I don't want to go back. No way. I don't want to be that guy. He's only good for one thing. Crucify him. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Get this. Get this. Which... God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, and that's salvation. We're saved by grace. You'll never earn it. You won't be transformed by your works. You won't recommend yourself to God by your works. He won't think you're better because you're going to church and fasting twice a week and tithing. He's not going to think you're better. He has already made you complete in Christ, and He is pouring out on you, and He wants to transform you by the Spirit within. That's the difference between legalism and grace. The legalism, I'm trying, but I'm failing, and man, I got a hold of something that's changing me. Someone say amen. All right, I'm done. You sure can. <laughs> 